0: My name is Sara Hames, and I am a researcher at Tampere University.
1: Wonderful. My name is Pamir Bahia. I'm a neuroscientist and communicator. I'm also your host for Biology and Numbers, a podcast by the Society for Mathematical Biology, also known as SMB. How are you doing today, Sara? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad that we managed to find a time to schedule together with Tampere and Tampere. sounds like a country song. It does, yeah. (laughs) So you're here today because you've been awarded the Lee A. Siegel Prize for Best Paper as the corresponding author. So I'd like to begin by saying congratulations. Thank you. So it's always nice to receive recognition for your work, but can you tell us more about what this Best Paper Award means to you?
0: Sure. So... I have a soft spot for the Bulletin of Mathematical Biology, which is the flagship journal for the Society for Mathematical Biology. So this is one of these journals that publishes articles that lie in this super exciting realm where mathematics meets biology. So receiving recognition from a journal and the society that I think so highly of is fantastic. Uh, and I know that my co-authors James Yates, Jibin Powatil, and Mark Chaplin agree. But of course, I'm extra fortunate because I get to be here and chat with you today. So very cool.
1: Very nice. So other than winning awards, why are you a member of the SMB?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. For me personally, the society has been one of the constants in a very turbulent life as an early career researcher. So I have moved mm-hmm. workplace a lot. In the last four years, I have worked in four different universities in Wales, Scotland and Finland. And I have worked in mathematics departments and biology departments. And now I'm working in a medical cancer research centre. So these work environments have been super different from each other. And some have been on you know, the mathematics end of this math bio spectrum, and some have been on the biology end. And then here I am somewhere in the middle doing my interdisciplinary research. And that can actually be a bit tough if you're surrounded by disciplinary purists. So having the Society for Mathematical Biology there as a constant connection to the interdisciplinary mathematical biology sphere has been a great source of scientific inspiration and networking for me. That's such a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then on a similar but more human note, you know, when you move a lot and then you're often the new kid. And even though I would argue that I have the best job in the world, the reality is still that both mathematics and biomedicine are research fields that are where most people in power are men. So being a new young female foreigner in a workplace You know, it does come with a few challenges that are easier to face if you have support and advice from a from a community. So even even when I at times feel like a local minority, it's really cool to be part of a global society filled with plenty of researchers that I can see myself in and look up to. So that's cool. Yeah.
1: Oh, you're tagging in all of our other podcast episodes that are coming up here. So we have. A conversation with the leads of the Committee for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion.
0: Yeah, it's so cool that the society you know, works beyond just research. Really, we're a community of people who work together towards strengthening both mathematical biology as a research field, but also just trying to make mathematical biology a fair and safe academic space to study and work in. And that's super powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of your research, what inspired you to do the research that you're doing currently?
0: Oh, well, if we start from from the start, like when I was in school, I was always very frustrated with biology as a subject. (laughs) Because I thought that biology classes raised more questions than they answered. So you would just get a lot of you know biology facts thrown at you and I would be that annoying kid in the front of the classroom asking you know, but why teacher, why? And then mathematics on the other hand was sought in a very sort of sequential way where you start with learning foundational skills and then you build your way up to advanced mathematics via problem solving. So mathematics education always suited me better than biology education. However, I've always been curious about biology. So for my bachelor's thesis that I did back in Sweden, I chose to do a mathematical oncology project. And then I realized that I could study biology using the language of mathematics. And suddenly, biology, you know, as a research field, was accessible to me. So I got hooked. And yeah, I'm still here eight years later.
1: That's very cool. So you've bounced... Through a lot of countries. Where have
0: yeah. you lived and worked in? Well, I did my undergraduate studies in Sweden then master's and PhD in Wales. First postdoc in Scotland. And now I've been doing personal fellowships to different cities in Finland.
1: Wow. So, yeah. So now I'm very intrigued about how you're going to answer this next question. Mm hmm. This is a podcast about mathematics and biology, and, yeah. um, you know, most people have some bias. So are you team math or are you team bio?
0: Oof. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, I go both ways. Like I grew up doing competitive cheerleading, and in this case, you know, I cheer for team math and I cheer for team bio. In the way that I approach research questions, there is no clear dichotomy between mathematics and biology. I usually start my research projects by looking at the biological system, for example, some cells in the laboratory. And then I think, Hey cells, why are you doing this crazy thing that we don't understand? And then I try to answer this question, but instead of using words to answer this question, I use the language of mathematics. So, you know, in the same way that an artist can use paint to capture their muse, a mathematical biologist can use mathematics to capture biology. So, you know, with this analogy, mathematics is my paint and biology is my news, and that's how I see it.
1: Well, great way of encapsulating the process. I love it. So we're actually here to talk to you about your prize-winning paper. Let me go back to the title, which is not short. No. Uh, The title is Targeting Cellular DNA Damage Responses in Cancer, an in vitro collaborated agent-based model simulating monolayer and spheroid treatment responses to ATR inhibiting drugs. Now, I'm amazed I got through all of that first time round. So can you tell us the question that this paper is trying to answer?
0: Sure, sure. So before a drug is actually used for treating patients in a clinic, The drug needs to go through multiple stages of testing and evaluation and Mm -hmm. two steps involved in this drug testing procedure are in vitro experiments and in vivo experiments. So in vitro is Latin for in the glass. So in a cancer drug context, a typical in vitro experiment is one where you have a bunch of cells in a glass dish. And then you apply some drug to the cells and observe what happens. So in these types of experiments, we can measure how effective a drug is at damaging and ultimately killing cancer cells. Okay, so let's say that we have found a drug that performs really well in an in vitro setup. Then a natural next step would be to test how good this drug is at killing cancer cells within a living organism or in vivo, if we want to speak a bit more Latin. So a common in vivo procedure is to implant tumor spheroids into mice and then treat the mice with a drug and observe how the tumor size and other tumor features change in response to the drug. But as biological systems, these in vivo tumor implants are much more complicated than cells in a dish. So as yeah. you can imagine, cancer cells that live in a laboratory dish behave very differently from cancer cells in a tumor, in a mouse. So this means that drug responses that we measure in in vitro experiments can be very different from drug responses that we measure in in vivo experiments. I'd like to pause here to make a couple of important remarks. First of all, it is easier to measure how cells act and react in response to drug treatments in laboratory dishes than in in vivo tumors. But it is more relevant for clinical cancer research to understand how cancer cells behave in a mouse than in a glass dish. So with our paper, we wanted to create a mathematical framework that allows us to use in vitro data to understand and predict how cells will behave in a tumor spheroid in vivo. So in other words, we wanted to answer the following research question. If we know how cancer cells are behaving in vitro, can we predict and understand how they will behave in vivo? And as a practical application, we especially looked at colon cancer cells that were subjected to a drug that prevents the cells from repairing their DNA damage.
1: Okay. That's A super interesting question. As a neuroscientist who's worked on cells in a dish, we realize how fundamentally different that is from looking at cells in an animal because the way we look at neurons in a dish is that we use enzymes to kind of chop them up into these little balls, which when you look at a neuron in a system, it's actually a ball and it's got these long arms that reach out, in our case, from all the way from the brain into the spinal cord or Mm. to organs, you've already created something which might be helpful in some contexts, but has nothing or very little to do with the reality of how that cell's going to behave in an animal.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So in your case, what you're doing is you are going from, rather than looking at flat cells in a dish, trying to create something which is going to look like a tumor, which is like a round ball of cells in an animal, right? Exactly. So where do you get your data from? Because as I understand it, if I read the paper properly, you got the data from a different paper, which was actually on the biology of this kind of system. Is that correct?
0: Yes. So um, we were working with the pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca, and they had previously mm-hmm. published this data. And uh, one of the collaborators is on both papers. Okay.
1: Yeah, and so when you're coming up with your mathematical model on the basis of this kind of biological data, what are the most important parameters for you to kind of pick out and put into an equation? So that very much depends
0: on the research question. In this specific case, we were interested in looking at basically the cell count or the size of a tumor in response to drugs. So then what we want to know is how quickly do cells divide? How quickly do cells die in response to a tumour? And how quickly do cells move between different intracellular states?
1: Okay. So by intracellular states, what are you talking about there? Is it how quickly they grow? How quickly they respond to the drugs?
0: So a cell goes through a cell cycle that ultimately leads Mm -hmm. to the cell dividing. And the drug that we were looking at specifically targeted cells that were in a specific phase of this cell cycle. So therefore we were interested in categorizing where in the cell cycle the different cells were. Okay
1: so you obviously you took this data and you applied your mathematical models and you got some results that were spat out at the end of it Mm -hmm. Um, so what were the results that you found from your models in this paper
0: okay sure so our mathematical framework was built on an agent-based mathematical model so in this model every cell is regarded as an individual agent that acts and reacts according to a set of probabilistic modeling rules that describe a biological process. So an example of a modeling rule would be that the cell divides and produces a daughter cell after some time period T. So here T would be a model parameter that we would estimate from in vitro experiments. In the specific in vitro experiment that we were looking at, the cells were initially free to divide without any constraints. But in in vivo tumors, the cell division process is constrained by forces acting on the tumor and limitations of nutrients and space. And I also want to point out that the in vitro cells grow in like a two-dimensional space, whereas the tumors, the cells in a a mouse grow in the three-dimensional space. So therefore the modeling rules for cell division, for example, are a bit different in the in vitro and the in vivo scenario. So what we did in our model is we formulated a bunch of necessary modeling rules that we need to describe our system, but then we altered the rules between the in vitro and the in vivo scenario, whilst keeping fundamental model parameters that we measure from the in vitro experiment intact. And by doing this, we could translate the information that we learned from the in vitro experiments into something that we could simulate in the in vivo experiments. So then back to your question, what did we find out? Well, what we did, so we used our individual calibrated model to simulate the growth of tumor spheroids. And we then compared these simulations to in vivo tumors that were implanted in mice. And our simulations quantitatively captured in vivo tumor growth for 14 days where no drugs were administered to the mice and eight days when drugs were administered to the mice. And after that, the simulations did not capture the in vivo growth. And uh-huh. you know what? This negative result is actually good. And it's a good sanity check. Because when you have a solid tumor in a living system, many things can happen. Blood vessels can start forming. You have a new responses kicking in and tumors can develop resistance to drugs. And we did not include any modeling rules that accounted for blood vessel formation or immune responses and drug resistance. So the model should stop capturing reality when these biological things kick in. And For us, it's just as important to understand when and why a model does not capture reality as it is to understand when a model does capture reality. And in our case, our model captured in vivo reality for for one to two weeks. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: you're right, that in itself is important because an in vitro system, that's Mm -hmm. not going to be modeling what the reality is. At least for you now, you can add Potentially, would you add extra parameters now to say, okay, well, this is what might happen if you get blood vessels growing in, for example?
0: That would definitely be valid future work. It's not what I'm working on now. if, If we wanted to get past this barrier, can we have a model that captures reality for more than eight days? Then yes, the right thing to do would be look at these extra things that
1: only happen in vivo and not in nature. Yeah, so I mean um, one of the things that we're trying to get our mathematicians to express is, you know, why should the other side of the aisle, why should biologists read this paper and Mm -hmm. how would you try and convince them this is important, especially given that you've said that, you know, the model applies up to this point in time and not beyond that?
0: Yeah, so from a therapy development point of view, it's really important to understand how we can translate in vitro information to in vivo information. And our article shows one way in which you can do this via mathematical modeling. And then on a broader note, cancer systems are highly complex and cancer research problems cannot be solved by clinical trials. and biological experiments alone. And this cancer complexity means that researchers have to work together across disciplines to further cancer research and improve cancer care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Moving on though, Mm -hmm. I was also wondering if there was anything that you did or you found out as a result that didn't make it into the paper? Because quite often, When it goes off to a reviewer, they will say, oh, you should either do this or you should remove that. Was there anything that you found interesting that didn't make it in? Or is there anything that might launch a new paper for you?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So this paper was originally designed as a proof of concept. Around answering this research question, if we know how cancer cells are behaving in vitro, can we understand how they will behave in vivo? And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a thought experiment, I just wanted to design a model that was as simple as possible to answer this question. So because this model was always designed to be simplistic, there wasn't really any room for outtakes. And I would say that the reviewer comments led to us adding more things rather than taking mm-hmm. anything away. So, um, yeah, the reviewers were very helpful. But of okay. course, you know, as as any research article, maybe it asks more questions than it actually answers. <laughs> so my current work is very focused around understanding how cells interact with each other how do cells communicate with each other and what effect does the cell cell communication have on treatment responses and cancer dynamics so that is something that we're not explicitly looking at in this paper that we're discussing here today okay so,
1: Moving away from the paper,
0: Mm -hmm. do you have
1: anything kind of in your research which you're excited to start working on next? Or do you have a meeting coming up or anything along those lines?
0: Yeah, I am really excited about research right now because I have a few super exciting collaborations that have been, you know, a long time in the making with biologists where really cool data is starting to pop up and it's been really fun as a mathematician to be part of designing the experiments that will produce data because you know these collaborations take a few years to to set up now they're set up but i'm excited about this and I should also say that these collaborations have been very capitalized by the Society for Mathematical Biology.
1: Very neat. Yeah. SMB is coming out very, very well from today's episode, yeah, I no, feel. Yeah, it's
0: great, yeah.
1: And finally, yeah. before we move on to wrapping up, we would like to learn a little bit about Sarah the human as opposed yeah. to just Sarah the scientist. So we mm-hmm. have some quick fire questions for you. I really loved reading the little bio you sent for us. Yeah. And on that theme, what was the last workout you did? I went cross-country
0: skiing this morning and it was great. I love it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. It makes me feel like a Norse warrior queen. (laughs) Excellent. I just can't imagine
1: what that would be like right now because I think it's about 28 degrees Celsius here. Wow. Um, Okay. Yes, yes, it's a lot. What's your favorite terrible math pun?
0: Ooh, okay, so I'm going to incriminate myself on the internet now. So I hope the <laughs> library police is not listening. But when I was doing my PhD studies in Swansea, we had this beautiful, intimate library that was dedicated for mathematics books. And it had one of these like heavy King Arthur-styled conference tables so it was just Mm -hmm. the best room and because this room was so great I would organize unauthorized parties at night there sometimes where I'd invite like PhD students from physics and biology and one night we were especially rowdy so we went over to the algebra section and we reorganized the books so that the higher algebra book was placed like vertically over algebra book and I was so proud yeah this is
1: peak nerd
0: yeah (laughs) but it was great
1: very good and our last question we have is would you prefer to travel somewhere with beach and sun or mountains and snow
0: oh mountains and snow definitely I'm rubbish in the sun I'm very impressed that you can do research in 28 degrees celsius
1: you're assuming I can. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, that's
0: true. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't
1: have. <laughs> <listen. laughs> well, I thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. It's, it's been you. super thank interesting, you. and I think you did such a lovely job explaining your work and your paper, which is key for me as somebody who's not a math bio person.
0: Thank you. Thanks for hosting.
1: You've been listening to Biology in Numbers, a podcast from the Society for Mathematical Biology and produced by me, Panve Bahia, at Artscience Media. You can learn more about SMB on their website, smb.org, and via social media on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Find links to all of these and some for today's guest in the episode show notes. You can find us on Apple, Spotify and very likely your favourite podcast platform. So show us some love by making sure you review and subscribe.
0: I'm very impressed that you can do research in 28 degrees Celsius.
1: You're assuming I can. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's
0: true. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't have (laughs)
1: assumed. No, no. I mean, um right now I am I am fairly sweaty because the <laughs> AC switched. So um yeah, I, I wish there were a filter to make me less shiny. <laughs>